0: Okay. Wow. Not doing so great, huh? Let's try it again. We're we doing okay this morning, guys. I think we can be better than that. All right. All right. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Well, happy Father's Day. Um, I'm glad to be here with you guys. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Chad Kins. I serve as one of our pastors in our downtown congregation. I serve as teaching pastor there, which means occasionally I get to come around and uh, and visit some of the other congregations. It's it's not been long ago that I was actually here, so it's good to be back with you guys. And uh, one of the things that's been fun lately about getting to go to some other congregations is naming some of the evidences of grace that's happening um, and telling other congregations about what's happening in some of our other spots. And so I was in Edmond two weeks ago, and I got to tell that congregation about what God is doing among you guys, that to this, uh, to, to this point in the year, you guys have baptized more in this congregation than you did all of the year previous to that. So that's an amazing thing that you guys ought to celebrate. Like, we should probably clap hands and... Yeah. <clears throat> and so it's fun for other congregations to, to hear about what God is doing. And I just want you to know that you're being bragged on. You're, the faith that God is building in you guys here is being bragged on across our other congregations. You should know that. And we're really proud of you guys here as a church body. So today we're picking up with where we've been in First Corinthians 14. Uh, we've been in this little uh, section for really the better part of 10 weeks now. We'll finish it up next week or Uh, I think it's the next couple of weeks, the end of chapter 14. We've been here uh, in 12 to 14 in this larger study of the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, talking about spiritual gifts, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church, to build up the church. And so today we're going to come back around on a passage that Zach started last week on the gift of tongues. Today, the gift of prophecy. Paul goes back and forth to compare and contrast these gifts of tongues with prophecy. So today where he left off tongues, will pick up with prophecy today. So a lot of work ahead of us. Let me pray for you. You pray for me, and we'll get to work. Sound good? All right. Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And uh, I ask that even as we open your word today, that this would not just be religious exercise, that this would not just be sort of sermon in the stream of continuous Sundays that we attend together, but this would be Less about what I do and more about what you do with open Bible, living an active word, addressing us. That you would help us to have an encounter with you like we just read even moments ago. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God and so we are. You've made us your children, God. Amazing. You count us as your own, not because of a political affiliation, not because of where we're born in the world, not because of a race or a background, but because of the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, and our Lord. Thank you for what he has done to make us yours, and so we are. So we attend to your word now, and we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would help us to understand it, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said together... Amen. A fitting question here to start our sermon today, a fitting question on Father's Day. I know that like this day brings up a lot of things uh, for people. Sometimes you try to even mute the things that you would know it would bring up inside of you as you think back on your own earthly father or your life as a father or all kinds of things or the lack thereof. I know for me, I come from a home where I didn't have a dad and I am a dad now. And so there's all sorts of stuff that I sort through. I think about this day, not having someone to call or to text, even though I wish I could and wish I was able to do that. And I don't want to mitigate your earthly experience with a dad. Your, I don't want to mitigate that or pretend like it's not a thing or make it trite by pivoting to God the Father. But I think the way we understand fatherhood, whether or not you've had a good or bad experience with a father, can be addressed in God as Father. And so I want to ask this question to start our time today. Is When it comes to God as Father comes to mind for you and you think about who God is like here's what's crazy who Jesus insists that we know him as when Jesus taught us to pray he taught us to pray how our father the ministry of God the son was to come to make his father your father it's not just some sort of title you throw onto him. It's how he insists that you would know the living God as Father. Whatever comes to mind for you, whatever comes to mind whenever you think about God as Father, whatever surfaces in your heart, I just want to say is really important. Really, really important. Some of the greatest growth in my own story in life, as I've worked through my own family background and woundedness over the last five years, As coming to try to do this work, this work with God and taking who he is as father out of merely this theological concept. I think that's where it sits for most of us. We just sort of, oh yeah, I believe that. I ascribe to that. The triune God, father, son, holy, I ascribe to that. But trying to work with God and taking this out of a theological idea and making it the bedrock of my experience and my confidence in who he is. It's been a lot of work for me, but it's been some of the deepest and best work. J.I. Packer, who's recently passed away, famous theologian, author, pastor, had this to say about God as Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, which, by the way, is a massive statement. You should probably listen to whatever's on the other side of that comma, (laughs) If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, then find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. Find out. Having God as his father. You see, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. He says, Father is the Christian name for God. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing, one of my other favorite quotes that's helped me sort of come around um, letting go of my fears of thinking about God as Father uh, come from a commentary on the book of Hosea, which you're like, that's a, that's a nerdy thing to say. I realize that, but it's really helped me. And the quote was this by Derek Kidner. He says that the only danger that you and I have, ha- that you and I have of thinking of God as Father, the only danger that we have is that we would go on in our lives thinking too little of God as Father. That there's no danger for you in thinking too much of God as Father. You can't possibly outpace him, outdream him, outaspire to who he must be as Father. You can't possibly do it. You can't put him on a pedestal high enough out of a fear that he might let you down. He is that consistent as Father. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And the reason I bring this up today is because as we talk about prophecy, as we talk about prophecy as a working and a gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift comes to us, guys, straight from the heart of God the Father. Delivered to us and worked in us by God the Holy Spirit because of the work of God the Son, it comes to us because of the heart of God the Father. Prophecy is one of the ways the Holy Spirit points us back to the heart of God the Father we'll get into defining our terms today on what prophecy is and is not but before we get there here's what you've got to know prophecy is yet one more way that God our father desires you to know that he's not silent whatever came to mind a second ago when i asked you what surface is there when you th- he's not silent i know sometimes it feels like The doors of heaven are locked shut in your prayers. But don't let your feelings determine what's true. Let what's true reinterpret your feelings. He's not silent. Your father is not aloof. He's not cold, he's not emotionally unavailable, he's not uninformed about the details of your life, he's not only concerned about the big picture and not the small stuff, so far as you define small stuff, he's not disinterested, he's not smug, he's not waiting on you to finally figure out how to pull your life together to then approve of you, bless you, accept you, that's not who your father is. You say, well, how do you know that's not who he is? because who God is as Father has shown to us most clearly in Jesus his son. Do you want to know what the Father's like? Look at his son. He's a chip off the old block. Look at his son. And the standard of holy scripture that would give us a window into who the son is. But this gift of prophecy then is an ongoing working of the spirit whereby we're reminded of and we're drawn back into the heart of God as Father. And the way that applies, not just broadly to what you believe, but it applies to the details. The details that sometimes you try to shove down and numb because they're too painful to address. It applies to the details of your life. The gift of prophecy is a dynamic reminder that our Father sees us, He knows us, and He will not abandon us. He's not going to leave for work one day and not come back home. So here's how we're going to unpack this today. We're going to try to ask and answer three questions. What is prophecy? What is it for? And how do we practice this gift? What is it? What is it for? How do we practice it? Pretty simple questions. Big answers. Let's go for it. 14 verse 1. We together? We doing this? All right, here we go. 14 1. Paul says, Pursue love. This comes right out of the love chapter of 13. Operate in love to one another. So the command then coming out of that would be obvious and honest enough. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. They're not opposed to one another or contrasted. They are in concert. They work together. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He opens this passage of 14 with a massive statement. Whether you know what prophecy is or not, Paul speaks about it in a way that creates some urgency for us in the opening verse of this chapter. If you care about what the Bible says at all, if you care about having your life formed by Scripture, what Paul has just said is that we should deeply desire all the workings of the Holy Spirit. So I know like in a, in a you know, historically Baptist context like ours or backgrounds, or maybe you don't come from continuationist or charismatic backgrounds. There's some workings of the Spirit where you're like, well, that's the weird stuff at the church down the road, and that's why I'm not there, so I'm here. But Paul just said, I want you to desire all the workings of the Holy Spirit, even the ones that you might not be so comfortable with. You don't get to opt in and opt out as though that's a buffet line of gifts of the Spirit. I like this one, give me seconds of that one, but I'll bypass this one. I want you to desire all the workings of the Holy Spirit, but especially, he says, that you might prophesy. Here's what's crazy. However you feel about what I've just said, that's just reading the Bible. I've just read scripture to you. And notice he says this in the language of command. He says this is an imperative. So this isn't advice. This isn't like pursue love, earnestly desire the workings of the Spirit, especially prophecy. That's just good advice. No, it's not advice. It's not a suggestion. It's not optional. He says it in the form of command. Pursue love. Take out the trash. Pursue love. Wash the car. Pick up your room. Especially desire the spiritual gifts that you might prophesy. It's a command from the Father. And I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, at least as I've processed this downtown, but in my background in church, I didn't grow up in church, but in my background of church, I didn't, I didn't hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. The, con- the, the, the sort of the ministry of the Spirit was a, was, was a conversation that was avoided, especially the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. If the gifts were talked about at all, it was in terms of like those weird Christian personality tests that would decide that your spiritual gifts, that you have that gift and I have that gift. Oh, what gift do you have? Okay, I will have these gifts. But really we weren't really interested in the gifts so much as it was who has the gift of helps and who has the gift of administration so we can get our kids ministry stocked and we can get our greeting team satisfied, right? That's what that was really about. Maybe if you didn't take those tests, you're better off. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, good for you. But there was no talk in my background of the more supernatural stuff. And so this verse 14.1, this command, really for me, coming out of a Southern Baptist stream, where the gifts of the Spirit were just sort of a mute issue, this command in 14.1 was a tipping point for me to try to understand what is this ministry of the Holy Spirit all about. You can't avoid it. You, you just can't sort of bypass it. It's in, it's in your scripture. And so if you value the Bible at all, then you know, if you come from a high Bible background, Church of Christ, Baptist, Presbyterian, something like that, you know that you can't avoid a command of scripture. <laughs> you can't avoid a command. You, you obey the commands of scripture. And you can't get around this verse. So the question becomes, what is prophecy? What is it? If we should especially do it. We have to know what it is. And maybe the best way to start to understand what Paul is driving at here is to understand with the whole Bible in mind what prophecy is not. So let's start first by setting a framework for what prophecy is not. And then we'll get to the positive definition. The first thing I want to say is that when Paul talks about prophecy, especially that you might prophesy, he's not talking about telling the future. That's not the New Testament gift of prophecy. On a very rare occasion, it might show up that way, but that would be the rarest of occasions that would be tested by Scripture. And even then, we should take take great pause. But it's not telling the future. Sometimes you hear the word prophecy in the context of someone talking about predicting when Jesus is going to come back, you know, or some prophecy about the future. Maybe you think about like an Old Testament prophet. And Isaiah uh, predicting 700 years before the coming of Christ that this Messiah would come. Those were ways that God prophesied through the Old Testament prophets. But it's not the same thing that Paul is talking about here with New Testament prophecy. And we know that for a few reasons, but one of them is in verse 3. In verse 3, Paul says, The one who prophesies speaks to people, he says, for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. So we'll come back to this verse in just a moment. But these purposes of building up encouragement and comfort clue us into the fact that New Testament prophecy isn't so much about predictions of the future, but its application to the details of a person's life in particular situations. It's not telling the future. The second thing that prophecy is not is it's not authoritative like Scripture. It's not revelation on par with Scripture. So I know I've called out some denominational backgrounds, but I think it's important to recognize where the Holy Spirit and the supernatural gifts of the Spirit tend to be avoided in certain traditions. I, I, I come from a Southern Baptist background. I love the Southern Baptists for giving me the gospel. They just don't talk about these t- scriptures, right, very often. And so this is really important if you come from one of those backgrounds because sometimes the major opposition to any notion of prophecy is this fear that if a person's claiming to prophesy, then they're probably claiming to say something on par with God's word as if to say, thus says the Lord. But that's not what New Testament prophecy is about. Instead, all prophecy in the New Testament must be judged and tested by the standard of Holy Scripture. When Paul tells the church to prophesy, especially that you would prophesy, he's not thinking that they're going to inscripturate everything that they say. He has a higher view of Scripture than that. So he's not afraid of them going, well, I have a word from the Lord. Well, we better write that down. It's not that kind of prophecy as maybe it was In the Old Testament. So even though this is the same word as the ministry of Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses, where they actually would say, Thus says the Lord, New Testament prophecy is in a different category. It's in a different category. Um, You can't, you, you would never imagine in the Old Testament someone standing up like Paul saying, Everyone prophesy. That was a ministry relegated to a certain few. And so 1 Thessalonians 5 19 to 21. It includes us in that this is not scripture. Paul says, I don't want you to quench the spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, don't quench the spirit. Don't don't shut down the workings of the spirit. Okay, well, how do I not do that? Verse 20, you don't do that because you don't despise prophecies. So encourage prophecies, listen to prophecies, like receive them, be open to what the spirit might be bringing to mind. But not just that you have to accept everything. He says in 21, actually, I want you to test everything, including these prophecies. You would never imagine in the Old Testament saying, hey, we should probably test Isaiah. He's crazy. No, you would receive the word of Isaiah. He was a prophet of the living God. But the New Testament, different category. Hey, let's test these things. Let's hold fast to what is good. And notice, it's not the prophet that's being tested like in the Old Testament, but the prophecy that's being tested. Meaning... We already have the perfect and prophetic word from God in Scripture. We already have it. So now any prophetic word that would come forward must come underneath this word, be tested by this word, be in alignment with this word, or it's a false word. We don't have to sort of figure out, is that a good prophecy? Is that a bad prophecy? Is that from the Lord? Is that good? Is that true? Is that false? We don't have to decide that because it's already been decided. We know what's good for us so long as it's in accordance with Scripture as the plumb line. So it's not telling the future. It's not revelation on par with Scripture. And the third thing that prophecy is not is that prophecy is not teaching or preaching. It's not teaching or preaching. Maybe sometimes you've heard uh, that, that definition given for that, or you've experienced in a preaching moment, it feels like the preacher's in my head. How did he know to say those things? Is he just reading my thoughts? It's true to say that teaching and preaching can contain elements of the prophetic. But it's not necessarily the New Testament gift of prophecy because elsewhere in the New Testament, teaching and preaching and prophecy are mentioned distinct from one another. So then, what is prophecy? Here's a positive definition, a simple definition from Dr. Sam Storms. Prophecy is the human report of divine revelation. The human report of divine revelation. Now, the word the, the phrase human report is really important in his definition. It's including all the human error and weakness and inconsistency given therein. Like we're, we're not perfect. We, we can maybe receive a word from the Lord, but, but maybe we don't interpret that the right way or offer that the right way. Here's, here's a working definition that I'm pulling together. You weren't asking for my definition, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I think it'll be on the screen. That prophecy... Is an attempt to share what seems to be (laughs) an attempt to share what seems to be a revelation that God brings to mind for another person based on Scripture and applied to the details of their life. It's an attempt, like I'm weak, I'm not perfect in this. I'm attempting to share what I think might be something God's saying, something He brought to mind for you. It agrees with Scripture and it might agree with the details of your life, you you tell me if it does or not. Now, I don't wanna make this complicated. I wanna just say, I dare bet that if you've been walking with Jesus any length of time, most, if not every one of you in the room who's a Christian has experienced the gift of prophecy, you just didn't know to call it prophecy. You say, here's what, what do you mean? Think about moments in your life where you've been praying or you've just been going about your day not praying (laughs) but going about your day, but just sort of out of nowhere, sort of spontaneously, a scripture comes to mind and you're thinking about another person. Or a, a thought, a, a burden, a vision, a picture. Maybe God gives you a dream of some kind. And the result of that thought, scripture, vision, dream, whatever that God gives you, seems to be the Holy Spirit inviting in you into, revealing to you, something that God is doing in another person. That maybe, and very likely, often, as as prophecy works itself out, details of their life that you don't you wouldn't otherwise know, but your burden for them, something that God wants to say to that person, or a truth of God's character or word applied to a detail of their life and situation. Again, I would just say that I think many Christians have experienced this. You just didn't know to call it prophecy. Most most conservative backgrounds, like my background, would say, "Oh yeah, well that's discernment." Well, Paul calls it prophecy. Discernment is also a thing, and they tend to work together, but Paul calls calls it prophecy. Here's what I know, guys. God is speaking way more than you and I give him credit for. God is speaking way more than you and I give him credit for. And especially as Christians, there is way more going on inside of you. By the way, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of the living God. There is way more going on inside of you and way more going on around you that we tend to neglect. This doesn't mean that everything that just comes to your mind is prophetic and you should share it as a word from the Lord. That doesn't mean that. I've had plenty of people over the years come to me and offer to me what they thought was a word from the Lord for me. And I just sort of looked at them as I was like, hey, you got the wrong guy. I love your faith. I'm so glad you're stepping out. I want to encourage you there, but I think you got the <laughs> That doesn't apply to me. There's moments for me where I have stepped out believing I have a word for somebody else, and I go and offer it to them. They look at me like I have 14 eyeballs. And it's like, hey, that, well, that was clearly a whiff. Like that wasn't, that wasn't a word from the Lord for that person. Listen to John Piper's definition of this. Dr. John Piper says it this way. God reveals something, typically in some way beyond ordinary sense of perception, meaning maybe about the details of another person's life that you wouldn't otherwise know. And we know that his revelation is true. It has no error in it. It comes from God. But the gift of prophecy does not guarantee infallible transmission of that revelation. The prophet may perceive imperfectly, may understand it imperfectly, may actually then deliver it imperfectly. And that's why Paul says back up in chapter 13, we see in a mirror dimly. We only know in part. We don't know everything. Therefore, if we prophesy, we prophesy in part. But the imperfection of all this shouldn't discourage us because more often than not, I've experienced and others think would testify to this. You're spot on. You're spot on. Let me give you an example from my life that like living color of what I'm talking about. I was actually at a prayer meeting with Shawnee leaders, and uh, one of your own, Jared Friend, was a part of that meeting. It was a few years ago. I'd only previously met Jared. We just exchanged names once before. I'm Chad, you're Jared. Great, wonderful. I see him the next time at this prayer meeting. He knows nothing about my life, but after the prayer meeting, he walks across the room over to me, and he says, hey, the whole time we were praying, I had this picture of you standing in front of God the Father and there was this bowl between the two of you, and your hands were cracked and bloodied and all kinds of worn from hard things that you've experienced in life. And God was taking your hands and setting them in this bowl of oil as if to heal them. And as soon as it you know, healed over sort of externally, like the, the signs of the pain that had been gone, you would pull your hands out of the oil. But then God would take your hands and put them back in And as soon as just externally by appearances only it seemed to be healed over, you would pull out again. And over and over again, God was putting your hands back in the oil and finally he says, I need you to stay here while I've got a deep healing. And Jared looks at me and he's like, does that mean anything to you? And I wish I could have seen the face that that he was looking at, that I was giving back to him. Because what he didn't know is that in that particular moment, I was once again in counseling and had been for for years prior to that, in and out of counseling, counseling constantly trying to deal with family wounding in my background. And the reason I was in and out of counseling is every time anxiety and depression that I was dealing with, the symptoms of that would kind of go away. I would eject from the counseling process because I was afraid of dealing with the deeper issues that were behind it. I was in counseling yet once again, and everyone around me, my wife, my, the elders in the, our downtown congregation were insisting, you've got to stay the course. Jared gives me that word on the very day I was about to call my counselor again and say, hey, I'm, I'm out on the process. And so I articulate that to him, and he says, I really believe that God wants you to know that you don't have to be afraid of deep healing from your wounding. Okay, like, can you imagine how awkward Jared must have felt not knowing me only by name, walking across the room and going, hey, I think I got a picture for you. I think he must have felt intensely awkward. And yes, I can't find what Jared said to me in chapter and verse in the scriptures, but doesn't that square with how God works? Doesn't that sound a lot like an application of scripture to the details of my life? If that's not a prophetic word, I don't know what is. And if that's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit to edify me and keep me and tether me to Jesus, then I don't know what is. Now I want to move to the second piece today. What is prophecy for? What is all of this for? Paul answers that question directly in two different verses, 3 to 5 and 24 and 25. Pick up verse 3. He says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, their consolation. Really important. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue, they build up themselves. But the one who prophesies actually builds up the church, other people. Now, I want you to all speak in tongues. But even more, if I could just pick a gift for you, it would be prophecy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. And that's really cool when that happens. But that the church might be built up, he says. The church might be built up. So he makes plain and clear that prophecy is for the purpose of building one another up, encouragement and comfort. say, but to what end? Encouraged toward what? Just that we'd feel better? Chicken soup for the soul? Like, what is this, right? I mentioned to you in the beginning that we'd be encouraged and comforted and reminded of the heart of your Father to you. God, your Father. That along your Christian journey, if it's anything like mine, that you would need these reminders. That you would need being pulled back in. sure, God really will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13. Every hair on your head really has been numbered by him, Matthew chapter 10. Every day of your life really has been written down, Psalm 139. He really won't lose you, and he really will raise you up on the great day. Those are all amazing promises. That's John chapter 6. You already have these promises. I just quoted scripture to you. All of that has been secured for you in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, but aren't you prone to forget those things? Aren't you prone to wander from those things? The gift of prophecy is one of the many ways that God the Holy Spirit reminds us through one another that the Father sees you, he knows you, and he will not leave you holding the bag. He brings the promises back to you, back to you. Let me give you another story of this from downtown. Two weeks ago, this is a crazy moment. One of our leaders was on his way in, praying, God, would you? what are you doing today? He says, he comes to our elders and he says, I feel like God gave me a vision of this woman coming to church, wearing a purple dress with frills, and I've got a specific word for that woman. He's like, I sound crazy, I know, but I'm just testing this with scripture and with the elders of the church, does that seem reasonable? We just said, let's watch and pray and let's see what happens. Nine o'clock service, a woman he walks in, purple dress and frills, into the balcony. He like, comes to our elders and goes, That is the exact dress I saw in my prayers and the coming the way in. And he's like, Should I go give this word? And it's like, Well, it's not creepy. Her husband's with her, so just go talk to the both of them, right? An elder went with them. He shares this prophetic word that he feels like the Lord gave him for them, particularly her. And both of them were just struck. How would you otherwise know to say these things? They felt totally met and edified, comforted in their story and their journey of faith. The gift of prophecy is meant to build one another up. God invites us in. I'm seeing you. I'm noticing you. He also gives us one more purpose for prophecy in verses 24 and 25. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters in, a non-Christian comes into the gathering, well, then he's convicted by all. He's called into account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he worships God and declares, surely God is among you. So on the one hand, where this gift is given to build one another up and tether us in our faith, there's another purpose that's evangelistic. It's meant to be a testimony to a non-Christian of the truth of God, even disclosing the secrets of their heart. Let me give you two quick illustrations about how this has worked. One from the old preacher Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s and one just a couple of weeks ago from our student camp. There's a story from Spurgeon that one Sunday standing in the pulpit delivering his sermon, he was impressed, so impressed by the Holy Spirit about a man who was sitting in his congregation that he stopped his sermon and calls this man out who was a shoemaker and was taking unjust gain from his cobble shop. Here's that shoemaker's story of what he experienced when Spurgeon called him out. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. And in his sermon, he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays. Shame, shame, shame. He says, And I did. And I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took nine pence the Sunday before and there was four pence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day and four pence was the just profit, but how should he know that? I cannot tell. And then it struck me, that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him, so I shut up my shop the next Sunday. And at first, he says, I was, <laughs> I was afraid to go again and hear him, lest he should tell people more about me. But afterwards I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. The secrets of his heart disclosed, leading to repentance and faith in Jesus. Just a couple of weeks ago at our student camp, we had a person that was uh, like a small group leader, one of the churches that was there, come to the student ministers and say, hey, I I believe I've got a word from the Lord about a student who's here that's lost hearing, a sense of hearing, and it's been intensely frustrating and scary for them. And so this word was delivered from the stage uh, at the end of one of their services. And one student responds, this was a leader from a totally different church, it was a student responded from another church that the leader did not know, comes forward and he says, okay, here's, this is crazy. I'm an atheist. I didn't wanna come to camp. How should someone know that a, a sense of hearing has been lost? This is exactly my story. I'm terrified, I'm frustrated, but I can't help but think that this might be God speaking to me and trying to turn my heart to his truth. Secrets of his heart disclosed, turning to faith and repentance in Jesus. This is a generous gift. Whatever background you come from, you don't have to be afraid of this. We're not speaking scripture. This isn't thus saith the Lord. This is underneath scripture, applied to details of our life, reminding us of God the Father. This is a kind gift from God where he invites us to sometimes witness on occasions to non Christians about the truth of Jesus. We've run long today, but I've got this final turn. How do we practice this gift? How do we practice this together? And the first and most important question when it comes to practicing this gift is who who can prophesy? Like like who, who, who gets to do this? Who gets to play in this arena? Look back at verse five. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, the language of all. I want you all to do this, but I want even more to prophesy. Paul is totally inclusive in the way he frames this. Any follower of Jesus is qualified to prophesy. This doesn't mean that everyone will prophesy, just like not everyone will receive the gift of tongues, like we talked about last week. But this gift is open to every Christian, to any Christian. Every Christian should be open to this gift and desire. it. That's the command of verse 1. One more quick reference here that I think is really important. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. This is a quote from the prophet Joel, "In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters they shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. even my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirits, and they pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy." So this is a quotation from the Old Testament book of Joel cited by the Apostle Peter at his first sermon when he launched the New Testament church declaring the resurrection of Jesus. When He says that in the last days that this will happen, that's a reference that shows up again and again in the New Testament as the time referring to between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. The church of Jesus since that day of Pentecost has been living in the last days. And when Peter quotes this, what he's trying to show is if you want to know that the sign of God's redemptive work in Jesus is complete, that that's really done in Christ, then notice the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all Christians until the return of Jesus. And this ministry of prophecy is not restricted to a few like it was in the Old Testament, but it's now the ministry of every Christian, young, old man and woman who can prophesy Any Christian is a candidate for this working of the Holy Spirit, and every Christian should desire it. So here's a few ways to practice it. Number one, cultivate in your life a practice of listening to God. I'm not going to try to make this crazy, guys. We're we're long today. I'm going to be real quick. What are you speaking, God? What do you want to say? What do you want to say to these people? What are you doing in this space? These are breath prayers. You can just sort of offer measure in the checkout line at the grocery store, walking about into the next meeting, going into on your commute to work. Now, here's the thing. If you offer these prayers, be attentive. God is speaking way more often than we give him credit for. If he brings a scripture to mind, a picture, a vision, a word, a dream, maybe God gives you a dream. And there are certain dreams that you put in the category of crazy because they're crazy. But there's other dreams that you go, hey, that, there seems to be some redemptive quality to that hey, test it by scripture first. Maybe mention it to a community, uh, person in your community. And then if it's for someone, just tenderly offer it to them and see, see what God does. Maybe it's a whiff, maybe it hits. But the question always becomes, well, how do I know if this is God saying something or if I'm just making stuff up? How do I know if this wasn't just like bad brisket I had last night or this is like actually from God? Really simple answer to this question. When trying to listen to God, this is why an ongoing diet of reading Scripture is really important. God's voice will always sound like God's voice. God, so as you get to see, how has God spoken in the past? What is his character? How does he tend to be navigating things? Well, that's how he will always navigate things. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews chapter 13. And so if the, the sense you're having squares of Scripture... That's a checkbox. Does it lead to more love for Jesus? That's a checkbox. Does it lead to obedience to Jesus? That's a checkbox. Lean into it. Lean into it. Like you're not that godly to think those thoughts. The Holy Spirit supplies those for your godliness, for your godliness. Here's the second thing: be willing to risk. Be willing to risk. To step out into the working of the spirit, you've got to make a conscious decision to move past the fear of looking weird or messing up. You're so weird already. You believe in a resurrected Jewish man who is the king of the earth, both now and forevermore. You're already weird. Don't be afraid of the weird. You're going to be more squarely marked as a person of Jesus. And he was consistently weird for the kingdom of God's sake, and people were thanking him for it. Thank you for being weird. So our church is a safe place to learn and to grow. You're never going to get in trouble in this church for stepping out in what you think is a leading of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna check that, we're gonna test that. We should, that's obedience to scripture. And where it's off, we will learn and grow. Where it hits, we'll be edified. We'll be edified, you're not gonna get in trouble. The last thing that you should be afraid of is stepping out in a moment of trust. That's the last thing. If there's any fear in this room, it should be a fear that we would go on with the status quo, not listening to God and never stepping out. That's boring. Boring. And so risk could look like you praying for someone, that God, like just praying, God, would you give me a prophetic word for somebody? And then stepping out and, and sharing what he, what he brings to you. Test it first. Risk could look like you praying for a sick coworker who doesn't follow Jesus. Risk could look like you. Here's a really vulnerable place, but I think a beautiful place. Risk could look like you, struggling to hearing from God, but then praying, God, would you give me a prophetic word from another brother or sister that they might bring to me? Where I'm struggling to hear, maybe, maybe you would speak to a brother or sister on my behalf and bring it to me. Here's the third thing today, the final. Fight against functional cessationism. Cessationism is the view that The gifts of the Spirit have ceased, and the supernatural working of the Spirit has gone from the church. Fight against that. Here's what I mean. I don't think that very many people in our church believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't work today. If you you believe that, you wouldn't be at this church, right? I don't think very many people believe that. But let me tell you what's unhelpful, what I do think is in our church this belief that the spirit does still work today, that God still does encounter his people today. Theologically, we believe that, but our lives are practically closed off to it. That's unhelpful. Fight against functional cessationism. Like, at best, that's unhelpful. At worst, that's hypocritical. A couple of years ago, here's, here's my final, is that I was reading through the Gospel of John in my own reading time. You ever had one of those moments where, like, it feels like Scripture just jumps off the page somehow? And you're like, did I, I, like, miss that? Did I, like, not? Is this new, you know, somehow? It's not new, but you you read it different? A verse in John chapter 3, verse 34, jumped off the page. I end with it today. Offer it to you. This is the Apostle John speaking about Jesus. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, speaks the words of God. We'd all say yes and amen to that about Jesus. Here's the part that jumped off the page to me, guys. Speaking about Jesus, he speaks the words of God and he gives the Spirit without measure. That jumped off the page to me. So this means that there's no fill line where God says, that's as much of me as you can have. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That is amazing. Jesus, God the Son, God the Father sent God the Son to pour out God the Holy Spirit without measure so that the church would never have to fear operating at a deficit. This is as much of me as you can have and experience no more. God wouldn't say that. This is as much of me as you can hear, but no more. God would never say that. He gives the Spirit without measure. He throws out the measuring cups. It's amazing. And I just don't think there's anybody here today who would say, you know what? I don't need any encouragement. I'm super encouraged. Like, I don't need any comfort. I feel super comfortable. Um, I don't need any upbuilding. Like, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm so built up, it's like a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, just move on to the next part. No one here is going to say that. No one here is going to say that. And so listen, our testimony of lack, remember that's the whole purpose the prophecy is given for those things. Our testimony of lack is actually an invitation to the gifts of the Holy Spirit whereby we're reminded that your father is not silent. He's not silent. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Let's pray. Father, I do pray. I do pray on this Father's Day that you would help us to obey this command of Scripture. I pray for the dads in the room that you might grant words of prophecy to them for their kids and their wives. I pray that anyone here today who needs a prophetic word, God, that you would supply that. Father, thank you that you're not silent. And I even pray where someone wants a direct answer to this prayer that doesn't seem to come right away. God, I wanna thank you that with this gift, I don't have to work anything up. I don't have to whip anything up. I don't, but where there is a delay on a prophetic word, a delay on an encounter of this gift, I just pray that that wouldn't be a spot where we would distrust you. I pray that would be a spot where we would earnestly desire all the more that we would hold this scripture up to you and say, God, I'm earnestly desiring, would you please pour out and help us wait patiently and expectantly. You are faithful to all your word, God. You are a good father. You make good on every promise. You always show up. And so Father, where that needs to happen today, I'm just asking, would you you please show up? Offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.